Welcome to This Is Not About Your Body, a body neutrality podcast where we talk about all the real shit body image issues are actually about because they're never just about the way you look. I'm your host, Jesse Neeland, and today I have with me Erica Smith, who is an award-winning and internationally recognized sexuality educator with 23 years of experience whose main area of focus is sex education for people leaving high-control religions. She's also the creator of a program called Purity Culture Dropout, where she offers sex ed that is comprehensive, medically accurate, and shame and religion free to people healing from the sexual shame and overwhelm created by purity culture. So I'm really excited to have her on here today to talk about what all of that means and what it has to do with body image and self-worth. So welcome, Erica. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be having this conversation with you. Me too. Um, Okay, so I wanted to start with kind of a broader question for context here. Uh, What is a sex educator? Like, what Uh, does that mean? What do they do? Yeah, I love this question. It's, I mean, I could probably answer it for ever. Um, I (laughs) I was literally just reflecting on my start in sex education. And for me, it was as a college student. Um, my friends and I who were active in like various feminist causes and social justice causes, we decided to put together a sex education event talking about things like pleasure and consent. And this happened in the late nineties at Penn state. And it was, it ended up being a big controversy. Um, What I have learned, you know, I was just thinking about that and how at the time I could have never pictured that sex educator was a job that I could do for my life or that like that it was a career path like that wasn't really stated clearly I think when most people think sex educator they think of um, somebody that's in a high school like somebody that's Mm. teaching in a classroom maybe as part of the health department at a high school I know a lot of us probably got if we got sex ed it was from like the gym teacher yeah so that's that's a lot of what people think when they think sex educator but I I tell people who are interested in this work that it is, gosh, it is such an expansive thing because there are so many different facets to sexuality. You can be a sex educator who works in a retail boutique and sells, you know, all kinds of sex toys and you can educate Mm. your clients and you can do workshops. You can be that kind of sex educator. You can do workshops with bachelorettes about blowjobs you can be that kind of sex educator Um, and you can be the kind that goes to schools and does comprehensive stuff with young people Um, for me um, I did a lot of sex educating with young people for years and that was through a hospital Um, I think yeah this is such a broad question but I would say it's anybody in this general field who gives people information and a place to safely process about it. Because when we're doing sex education, it's not just like, here's a fact and that's it. There's so much cultural context and it's important to, um, you know, not just give people, you know, here's how your body works, but give people some of the, the kind of cultural context and a place to process all of that. Oh, love that. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I think uh, probably that is kind of the assumption or not assumption, you know, but like where people's minds are going to go is like mm-hmm. what we learned in school. If we learned things in school, <laughs> that's like, quote unquote, sex education. And then everything else is the things you seek out in adulthood when you go, I am missing something. Right. Here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's that famous scene in Mean Girls with the coach 
where he was like if you have sex you will die i think that's what he says yeah like, or you will get chlamydia and die like it's yeah. a very like it's it's a joke but it's a joke based on a pretty real stereotype that that's what a sex educator is so speaking of which what is the current situation um in the u.s or wherever in terms of sex ed like what are people learning what is the mandate for what they have to learn or mm. legally allowed to learn or whatever um what are most people coming across yeah this is this this is a really complicated answer because it varies so much state by state and then within the state even like region and township and school district so there is not a national mandate for sex education in this country um states can adopt policies for sex education and they they vary wildly. Um, there are some states that don't have any policy that sex ed is required. There are some states that do require it and they say it has to be comprehensive. But then when you like look at the fine point um, or the fine print, that can really vary depending on the school and who's teaching it. So, you know, if you have a state where it's like, well, you have to teach about birth control, you could have a teacher that's like, well, I'm going to teach about birth control, but here are all the reasons I think teenagers shouldn't use it. And like, that would be perfectly legal. Sure. Um, and what does comprehensive mean technically? Comprehensive sex ed is sex education that addresses all of the uh, holistic, physical, cultural uh, aspects of sexuality. It's not just telling you the bad stuff. Like this is chlamydia, oh, okay, okay. this is pregnancy. It's mm -hmm. like, we're also going to talk about pleasure. We're also going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about consent. We're going to talk about the beautiful, positive aspects of sexuality and not just the scary things mm. you're trying to avoid. And that is what most mainstream sex ed leaves out is the good stuff. It's yeah. like, we want our teenagers to be afraid. We want them to yeah. avoid pregnancy and we want them to basically not have sex. So if we're not going to say don't have sex, we're going to make it sound as scary as possible. And that's mm. what a lot of sex ed is. And that's spoiler alert, not what's effective. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what is effective? What would you rather see? What's effective is the comprehensive stuff. Um, and I say this based on longitudinal studies of how effective abstinence only education was in this country. So like we have data on that going back years and years. Like you can look at data from like probably the early 2000s at least that are like, yeah, telling people not to have sex doesn't actually do anything to improve the sexual health outcomes of young people. Right, it right. might delay when they first have sex, might, but then they have sex and they don't have any of the tools or resources right. or knowledge or skills that they need. Um, and then you'll see higher rates of unintended pregnancies, like in states like Texas, which has long been a battleground for sex ed and a place yeah. for not good sex ed. Um, they have a very high teen pregnancy rate. So that is that is what data clearly shows. Um, you got to teach people how their bodies work and how to, you know, make decisions about them with confidence and not feel ashamed about them. And yeah, all of so that. This is, this is one of those things in part because of how I grew up, like I grew up in a 
in a conservative, uh, fairly religious town, small town and culture and community. But my specific immediate family was very sex positive. My parents talked about all this stuff. I knew all the anatomy. I told all my friends how periods worked. Like mm -hmm. I was the go-to, you know, I had all the knowledge early and it just made total sense to me that you should know this stuff. Like, yeah. you know, you learn how, uh, I don't know, photosynthesis works. You learn how babies work. It just all made sense. So sometimes I really struggle with the lack of common sense in abstinence teachings, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like the willful ignoring, uh, ignoring, <laughs> willful choice to ignore the outcomes that you're talking about. Like it just doesn't work. What are we doing? And also yeah. why were we doing it in the first place? But I think a lot of that comes back to the question that I'm going to be asking you a lot about today, which is purity culture, right? Yeah. So tell me what purity culture is and means. Mm -hmm. and how that kind of impacts or leads to like no sex, no sex education, uh, shamey sex, all that stuff. Yeah. Ooh. So purity culture is, I like to define it in two ways. There's kind of like the, the way when most people use the term, they're referring to um, specifically American Christian, usually white evangelical a movement that that happened in the late well the 90s and 2000s that's when it really huh. kind of appeared and got the ball rolling and some will say that's kind of in response to the sexual revolution the AIDS epidemic um oh. I didn't realize like it was that. that recent that's interesting yeah so huh. that is um a time where not just the idea that we need to push abstinence on American teens came up but this was a church-led effort to promote what I would refer to as extreme abstinence, like don't even hold hands or kiss, don't have sexual oh, wow. thoughts or feelings, sign, yeah. sign purity pledges, sign virginity pledges. Um, a whole industry sprung up around it. Like you could get purity rings. I'm sure yeah. many of your listeners are like, oh uh -huh. God, I have a purity ring somewhere. Yeah. Um, so that was like, you know, that was a big movement that really um, culminated during that time period. And their, their organizations called like True Love Waits, um, mm -hmm. Passport to Purity. Like these were. I remember True Love Waits. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so purity culture in general I, is not new and it is not yeah. specific to America or specific to like English pe speaking people. Um it is something that you can see in every major world religion that is the fundamentalist parts of like the most fundamentalist aspects of religion yeah. um, that rely on really strict rules about gender and sexuality. So in, in, in purity culture in general, it's just, you know, this idea that there's men, there's women, they're complementary towards each other. The man has a very specific role. The woman has a very specific role and we stay in that. Um, and and that doesn't usually involve any kind of sexual agency or pleasure for women specifically. Mm -hmm. um, and so those values definitely are seen in in every major world religion. You can find them, um, you know, I think that they kind of undergird American society, like the idea of, you know, women are one like it's I always tell people this country was colonized and started by puritans they were right. they were people coming from europe that already had a really strict code around sex and gender 
And not all of the indigenous people here had rules or societies that were like that. And so it was actually part of the colonization of America to instill those um, sex and gender rules and ethics on the people that already lived here. So it doesn't surprise me that we are a country of victim blaming, slut shaming, um, you know, that that stuff is is everywhere. But when you grew up in the evangelical world, specifically, that was those values were explicitly like pulled out and like made the most important part of your life, Mm. like the preservation of your virginity especially as a young woman, um, is seen as this is your main value and everything about your future rests on you preserving this. Until you're... Yeah, exactly. Until you're I hate married. it. I hate even just hearing you say it. Yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, yeah. So it's tied to your worth. It's tied to your value. It's tied to your future. It's tied to like your respectability. It's tied to your eternal life. Like you're going oh, to right. hell, you know, that There's whole thing. That. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I forget about that one. Right, right. Okay. So the main pillars then in purity culture, it comes down to, well, I guess maybe I should just ask you like what purity mm-hmm. is. Is it literally just a lack of sex or is it something about like, lack of desire or Mm -hmm. sin or like how how would you say that purity is being defined in that culture or community yeah I think there are you know there are different levels to it and definitely church communities that are stricter than others but like a pretty common pretty common idea of what purity is would not only mean that a young woman was and and again purity culture harms everyone of every gender but young women really bear the brunt of these rules. So I'm going to say mostly like girls or women here. Um, But it is, you know, it's just going to be assumed that when you marry, you have had no penetration before. So no sex. Um, there, There are people that don't even allow their daughters to use tampons because of the idea that somehow, you know, that is taking her virginity or that is altering her purity in some way. Um, But it also means like pure of heart, pure of thought, pure of mind. So you're not masturbating on the side. You're not, you're not um, dressing immodestly, which, you know, can be super strict. There are Mm -hmm. churches and cultures where that means you wear that floor length denim skirt, you know, like you've probably, there there are documentaries about (laughs) um, folks like that. So yeah, it, it goes beyond just this girl didn't have sex to this girl is like, a model, you know, wonderful Christian example that we can uphold. And we've essentially de-sexed her in every way and turned her into this like very delicate um, flower in need of protection. Mm. There's a racial component to that too. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when purity is is, um, defined that way, it's really only available to white girls and women mm-hmm. because we already view certain people like women of color as somehow already sexual mm-hmm. or already, you know, you know, having, what's the word I'm looking for? Just, just being, um, yeah, like marked in some way that they're not pure because we're unable to view them that way. So right. yeah, there's, there's so much here. <laughs> there's so oh much. Oh my gosh. Back. Um, so 
this might be kind of a ridiculous question. Uh, having not grown up with religion myself, I feel like my listeners are going to hear me ask it and be like, like, you make no sense. But <laughs> uh, like, why? Why this? Why is this purity? Like, why is why is sex impure? Do you know? How did it become? Why bother with that one? I think that the root of all of this is control. Um, the desire to create a system that keeps women in a submissive, inferior position and to control people and make them obey and follow rules. Um, you know, if if there, there are reasons that like, maybe aren't so relevant to our society anymore, but like men always wanted to know who, who, if they were the father mm -hmm. of a child. Um, and you could guarantee that by making sure that or trying to control, yeah, like yeah. I am literally the only penis that has ever right. been inside this woman. Um, so yeah, I, sure. I feel like it's a philo philosophical question almost. Yeah. Like, why is sex impure? But I think sex and sexuality is such a powerful part of life and such a natural part of life and such an amazing part of life yeah. that harnessing its power, I think, I think it's intimidating to men that want to have control. Mm -hmm. So, all right, walk me through what's supposed to happen when you get married. So mm -hmm. in this evangelical purity culture space, you have waited till marriage. You're a delicate, fragile flower who's, uh, what's the analogy they always give? Like you're like- Oh yeah, you're a rose that's got all its petals. Yeah, all your petals, they're <laughs> perfect. Okay, so now um, it's your wedding night and what, all your petals get stamped or like what's supposed to happen now? This is, this is something that is so difficult for people because you are kind of just supposed to transform into a practiced- um, open, inviting wife that is there for her husband's pleasure. Um, again, it's different in whether how extreme or fundamentalist a certain right. church is, but there are definitely, there are churches and there are religions. And I hear from people that were raised in them all the time that will explicitly say, you now are responsible for your husband's sexual gratification and you can't say no to him. Yeah, I've heard so that you are well. essentially like some some young women, some wives are taught that your body isn't ever yours to make decisions about. First, Blech. it's God's and your father's to make about, right? <laughs> oh, God. And then when you get married, your father passes that role to your husband. So your husband is making those decisions now. And that includes you have to be available anytime he wants sex. So imagine what we're teaching people about consent when that's right. the message. Um, but like on a, on a less sinister, darker, like less dark yeah. note, I mean, a lot of times people are like, wait, I got married and now I'm, I'm still scared of sex. I'm still, I still believe I shouldn't have it. I still believe it's dirty because that's yeah. what you were raised to believe. You know, say you're like, you get married when you're 25, you've had 25 years of being conditioned that this is the most horrible, dirty thing a person can yeah. do. And then the ring is on and you're like, huh, funny that all those things I learned didn't just fly out of my head. Yeah. And now I'm just like really into it. I have worked with quite a few people through that transition. Um, interestingly, of totally different religious backgrounds, although all of them with religious backgrounds. And uh, yeah, the like 
complex, sometimes devastating experience of it was supposed to just be like a switch flipped and now it's magical and neither of us are enjoying this it doesn't feel good I'm anxious about it we can't talk about it like it's just a terrible situation when you've been told if you waited you'd be rewarded with this like incredible intimacy with your spouse that is that is kind of a key that you just said right there is you're promised that waiting guarantees you certain things like if you wait then you will have the you will have a blessed union and it will go exactly like you you dreamed you know you'll be blessed with a great marriage and children and a great sex life and so many people are pissed because they find out they're like wait a fucking minute (laughs) that is that is not exactly how it's working out um it is a false promise you know an empty promise that if you wait then you will receive these riches yeah not it's not how it goes and it's it's interesting too because I think you know we're talking about a pretty extreme like sort of sect or demographic but purity culture values Mm -hmm. obviously infiltrate sort of everyone and everything because like I said I very much did not grow up in this space but I do remember thinking even though I was like already committed to like the slut path, I was like, I will not be doing any abstinence in my life. Mm -hmm. Like before I even had sex, I knew I was going to be like having sex when I wanted with whom I wanted. Yeah. Um, I also felt like there is something very tender and magical about waiting until you're, you're one partner. Like if Mm. you're going to wait and then this is something that you've only ever shared with each other. I always thought that was really lovely. And I understood why people would want to wait for it. And I think later in my adult life, especially as a coach and working with people in this situation, I'm like, first of all, I mean, I've unpacked a lot of the reasons that that there is so much magic in so many other areas. And that's kind of like a stand in that's diet magic, as it were. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there's just there's it's so difficult to get to that really intimate space with a person that, that that it's supposed to foster when you never learned who you are as a sexual being or even as an intimate being. And like, we would never expect anybody in any other area of life. Like if you want to be on an incredible math team, they wouldn't be like, wait to learn math until you're on the team. Like nothing else (laughs) would ever follow this ridiculous pattern. But I definitely bought into it. I think as a teenager, I was like, even though I'm not going to do it, I get it. It just Mm. sounded very romantic. Yeah. And and I want to make it clear that if people decide that they truly don't want to have sex until they're in xyz situation like that is awesome as long as it's your empowered decision you know if if you come to that conclusion and you have thought critically about why you feel that way then no we're not here saying please go out and slut around like you know I'm not a fan I'm not trying to like make a different standard for everybody like I want everyone to make decisions that feel right for them um but it's it's so true that we're asking people to go from a situation in which they have not just no experience, but a deep terror and a deep distrust of sex. Mm. And then right. we're like, okay, now have it. And and you know, I'll and enjoy it. People, have it and enjoy it and be good at it. <laughs> yeah. And I will hear from people that um even all the the years that they were being preached abstinence, they would have youth pastors that were like the sex with my wife is great but you all shouldn't have any and so they were <laughs> like oh like you know the pastors there are 
and I always hear about this as male youth pastors, you know, mm. again, I didn't grow up in religion either. So mm -hmm. this wasn't my experience, but I hear so many stories about male youth pastors who will be like, well, you know, when you're married like me, you can also have a smoking hot wife, like my hot wife, and then you'll have great sex with her. So at the same time, like these young people are seeing and hearing that like, okay, it's going to change when we get married. And this guy sounds like a real hornball about it, but right now it's supposed to be bad and icky. Mm -hmm. That is weird. It is weird. So tell me about some of the ways that this impacts people. And you can do this either it like depending on how it's easier to conceptualize, whether inside of evangelical purity culture or just in the broader mm. like picture of people. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say some of the impacts are of being taught like sex negative or even sub sex absent, you know, like however this is showing up, whether it's bad and scary and dangerous or just literally nobody's going to talk about it. Please don't yeah. bring it up. Um, what, how does that impact a person's like sense of self, their sense of the world? What are we oh, looking at? Gosh, there's so many areas. So I'm just going to start naming what I can think yeah. of just as it comes to me. Um, this kind of silence or shame around sex very much divorces people from their own bodies their own desire what th their own idea that they have ownership over their bodies and that they get to make decisions about it um it completely mm -hmm. undermines the concept of consent so if yeah. you're taught that like your body is just a prize for when you marry a husband um, or that mm. women are going to be a, a virgin prize for you when you get married and then they're going to owe you sex um, when, when young <sighs> women are taught that they are responsible for the lust of other people, especially men, right. and you see this in school dress codes, whether it's a Catholic or Christian or secular school, um, you see this when you hear like, you know, girls can't show their bra straps because it's distracting to boys education. We are teaching girls directly that they are responsible for the sexual feelings of others, which is very victim blamey. So then mm. they're going to spend, I mean, it's, I feel like a lot of this is implied in general American culture, but when you were in some of these churches, it's said to you directly, like Jesse, right. if they can see your clavicles, they are going to have right. impure thoughts. And don't, you know, he has a wife and it's not fair to do that to him. Like right. that is the direct stuff that's said to people. And then- if he were to act on it, that would be my Your bad, fault. not yeah. his bad. Mm -hmm. So accountability is shifted even before anything ever happens in a really gross way For that sure. men are kind of let off scot-free. Yes. Like, well, what are you going to do? They saw your clavicle. Yeah, 100%. Um, and as you can imagine, beyond just being, just, you know, having all these messed up ideas about responsibility and consent and you know feel it like not feeling that you are just like that you can own your body and your decisions um you know th the lack of practical information about anatomy and physiology can be terrible you know not knowing yeah. how pregnancy works not knowing how stis work not knowing how pleasure works um there are a lot of people that will be like yeah i just kind of dissociate during sex and feel like it's something that's happening to me and it's yeah. not something that I am mutually doing with a partner it's not an experience that I'm creating with somebody yeah um yeah so that's how... 
dangerous health outcomes mm -hmm. because you don't know where or how to navigate that. Mm -hmm. And then also separately, just bad sex. Yeah. Just bad sex. Bad sex because you're having it when you don't want to, because you're having it uh, from a, a fear state or obligation mm -hmm. state, or maybe just never learned how to tune into pleasure because pleasure seemed dirty and bad and wrong, or it's all shamed up. So like bad yeah. sex. Yeah. Bad sex. Um, And even sex that people wouldn't say is explicitly bad. It's a lot of times just like done out of duty or obligation yeah. or, you know, the, even when I hear stories where my clients are like, well, my, my husband is an incredible, wonderful person. And he would never, you know, he would never force me to do anything, yeah. but the two of them together still don't know how to communicate about sex. So they feel very shy speaking up, just talking about yeah. sex can be agonizing. Yeah. And that's like one of the reasons I do what I do. Cause I don't think it should be that way. And I don't want it yeah. to be that way. And you're not going to have better sex unless the communication about it improves. So just Definitely. being able to speak up and say, I like that, what you just yeah. did, or <laughs> try something different, or that didn't feel so good, or I need to stop now. Like sometimes, yeah. you know, it's like people aren't even aware that they're allowed to say those things. And I would say I, you can totally share your thoughts if if you have them on this, but I would say that some of that is coming from the message of it being, it's like a very fixed mindset around sex, that sex is sort of like a magic innate thing that if you wait for will be good, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to it being a skill, which is why I gave the ridiculous math example, like everything else we sort of uh. understand, like the more you learn about it and practice, the better you get. For some reason in purity culture and just in cult our culture in general, I think there is a sense that sex is like good or bad, you just have it or you don't. I remember growing up thinking like, basically, if I was going to be giving some, like if it, if the sex with me was going to be good, it came down to how tight my vagina was oh, and yeah. like nothing else. Maybe right. how hot I was. Those were like right. the two things, right? Uh -huh. Had nothing to do with the actual experience as a skill or experience or anything. It was just like, God, I hope my vagina is tight and I'm hot enough. Like that's- Which is, yeah, madness. What's good- I feel supposed like to be. you're bringing up something that is so important, which is not only do people get no sex ed, the valuable impurity culture, but then they're getting all this crap messaging from like, like pop culture, like music, movies, TV, anytime yeah. sex happens in movies, they kiss <laughs> right. for a little bit and then the penis goes in. That's yeah. what happens. It's like, it always, no one talks. It looks beautifully choreographed. Mm -hmm. They tumble into bed and their clothes come off on the way. And I always tell people like, that's not how it's like most of the time. Like we are just people doing an awkward thing together and we yeah. have to talk about it. Like, you know, like, do you want to go to this room? Should I kick the dog out? Like you gotta, yeah. it's not just gonna happen in this beautiful, magical way. <laughs> like, Right. And then there's also though, like, almost I think a feeling especially among women that I work with anyway um definitely a feeling that like to bring it up would emasculate their partner mm -hmm. that it's like disrespectful or rude to have yeah. thoughts or uh, you know opinions or or feedback or even questions you know like that you're just supposed to mind read they're supposed <laughs> to mind read and yep. if that's not happening it would be really rude to call it out yes 
yeah that's the idea of the mood that there is such a thing as the uh, mood the mood and that we cannot ruin TM. the mood. <laughs> yeah that's it the mood and the mood is some magical state of like symbiotic whatever we're doing where if you would speak up and be like hey um my you know this position isn't working for me or hey i'm i'm kind of sore or i need lube like people think well i can't ruin the mood but what happens if you don't ruin the mood is you're not gonna have the sex you want right and also like what what a fragile mood exactly like, what I, is I think this the mood? mood is a myth it is a myth and i like to tell people that like there is not some perfect mood that you need to achieve in order for sex to happen like yeah. If you're sitting there or laying there and you're like, God, it kind of hurts or, you know, I need him to turn the fan on or I need her to, you know, shift her weight or they're definitely not going to make me come like you're yeah. just, you were preserving the mood for what? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it also like that. That's a pretty cool thing to challenge. Even just I feel like to define the mood would be such a an ethereal it would be yeah. so hard to nail down like the mood is it is like a vague sense of everything going well uh-huh and there are no outside distractions no kids knocking mm, on the door mm -hmm. no neighbor making noise um you know no cats walking on the bed right. I keep looking over at my pets like they, you know <laughs> if you live with pets you know they get in the way sometimes um yeah, there, there's the also no room for playfulness or authenticity uh -huh. or like exactly. anything exploratory or curious or right. like every part of you gets to have sex. Yeah. And if you're committed to only the mood sex, like that's one <laughs> very limited sort of like pseudo romantic. I don't know. That's it. That's a huge bummer. Yeah. Yeah. So get rid of that concept. Get because. You're, you're, there is no mood. There is no mood. You can't ruin some fantasy idea of what what is there when, yeah, it's just. I mean, you exist. can, but like you also definitely should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, okay, so tell me some. So we've sort of covered like the sex, the health, um, definitely the the gender role thing mm. is a huge consequence that we see in terms of like the shame that women feel for not pleasing their man, for drawing attention from other men, for basically holding themselves accountable for any bad, impure thoughts of people around them. So it's like yeah. lots and lots of labor and accountability being placed on the women mm -hmm. because they have these, I don't know, fundamentally impure bodies or whatever. Yeah. And men just, you know, they're poor, they're poor, stupid babies. They yeah. can't help it. They just but have to they're, act. They're in charge of everyone. But at the same time, oh. we're telling, <laughs> is it, like, that's the thing. It's like, really messed up. You will see, um, there's an actual diagram called like the umbrella of protection. And the top umbrella is like Jesus, God. Underneath is the man. Underneath that is the woman. Like he, prote God protects the man. The man protects the woman. And then underneath her are the children. So that means the man has authority mm. over the woman and the children. Yuck. The gender stuff is deep. Um, and it's not just, yeah, it's not just related to like how people are supposed to be sexually. It's like, this is your place. Um, you were complimentary to your husband. You're a helper right. to your husband. Um, it's your role. Yeah, it's your role. And where your value comes from. So where does it come from for each? How would you define like the gender value system mm. for each? Well, when you are a 
young virgin, <laughs> your value lies in your virginity. But when you become a wife, your value becomes your ability to mother, like raising your children, having a household, you right. know, running your household, being a doting wife and mother. That's the value. Um, whereas men, men have a lot more freedom and leeway, you know, they, it's ideal in the, in that world if they become husbands and fathers. But what's interesting is some of the leaders they follow or not like, right. So there, there, there is a man that is known as a leader in some of these spheres. His name is Bill Gothard and he is the minister. He's 89 years old. And he founded this really ultra conservative Christian organization with rules about how people are supposed to live. And he's mm-hmm. never been married and never had kids. So Got it. some people like to point out like, what's up with that? Why, why don't we hold <laughs> to the same standard? You know, you're saying we should all like get married and have kids, but yeah, I think there's a lot more room for men to uh, play around in that world mm-hmm. and in life in general. We know that women so- are, thought like oh we're sad and you know if we're I don't know if you saw this but like Taylor Swift is the time person of the year and there are men online being like how sad she's childless and single and has cats tragic she is truly a modern tragedy so tragic (laughs) if there's a 34 year old man on the cover of time no one is like well he doesn't have kids like yeah it's that it's that crap so I think we can just name this as objectification. Purity culture teaches objectification maybe of everybody, but definitely of women. Because essentially, objectification is just boiling a person down to like one aspect. And in this case, it is the body and it is their virginity. And then it is their ability to provide pleasure and babies mm-hmm. and maybe emotional labor and all those things too. But there's yeah. almost nothing of value to the whole human woman in this space. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, there are places where women aren't allowed to preach. Women aren't allowed to hold positions of power. Um, you know, women cannot be leaders in, in many churches. So, do you know, like, do you have specific experience with the impact that has on body image? Do you work with people in that space specifically? I can tell you that something that comes up so often is the crossover between purity culture and diet culture. Yeah. And I'm first of all wondering, did you watch the documentary about Gwen Shamblin? Oh, you know, I did. There were two and I watched them both. I know you did. You had to have because (laughs) I actually have a friend who was a part of that. Oh, I experience come to me and be like, I went to that church. Yeah. I don't know them personally, but they're people that um, have messaged me. But, you know, it's the it's the idea that we have to be in control of our bodies. So we're in control. We don't give into sexual urges. We also right. don't give into what they would consider gluttonous urges, which, you know, yeah. I would probably just call eating and nourishing your just body. Just eating, enjoying you know, life. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's built on so many of the same pillars. I am a good woman if I restrict myself in these ways, if I deny yeah. these appetites of mine. Um, and there's a lot of explicit body shaming and fat shaming in these yeah. spaces, you know, like women are supposed to be. And and again, I know I'm generalizing. There are going to sure. be families where this wasn't the case and communities where this wasn't the case. But I hear time and time again from my clients that, you know, this idea of a perfect virginal woman usually also comes with a certain body type. 
um, and you are going to be shamed if you don't conform to that body type, which yeah. brings up all kinds of parallel and intersecting issues when it comes yeah. to body image, virginity, diet culture, all the same gross mess. If you even just like for in terms of like um, subconscious or implicit bias, if you just imagine like or Google probably for porn, like young virgin, oh, she will be very thin. Yeah, there is no chance that what pops in your head or on Google is going to be like a luscious plus size no. woman because that's yeah. not the association. You're it's so self-denial, right self-abnegation, yeah. self-abandonment. And, and almost like, like a childlike state. Childlike. That's exactly it. Yeah. Because what's more pure than a child? Ugh. Exactly. exactly. This conversation is. I um, mean, we're getting into some of the uglier, yeah. uglier truths behind this kind of stuff. And I, I do want to acknowledge that, like, you know, there are communities and churches in which the culture around sexuality allows for abuse to take place and abuse of, of young people and um i just watched a documentary about that called let us pray it is a three or four part series um you can find it on max aka hbo um and it's about the uh it's about independent fundamentalist Baptist churches and the culture of abuse that occurred in those churches. And it was straight up abuse of minors, abuse mm. of children. And they would blame the young women, blame the teenage girls for the abuse they endured. And then Ugh. they would move the male abusers who were church leaders. They would just move them to a different church much like we heard about in, you know, with the Catholic yeah. priest abuse scandals that have been coming up for right. so many years. Um, but yeah, there is, in some of these communities, we are protecting abusers yeah. um, and abusers who abuse children. And having these sexual values allows that to continue and proliferate. And yeah. keeping people ignorant of their own bodies allows that to proliferate. And right. let making people think that they have to submit to every authority. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's also, I think, in terms of the um, just sort of sense of like what is pure being, you know, like a child, that there's yeah. something that sort of explains what we started talking about, which is like the fragility that we are casting upon women by valuing or prioritizing or freaking talking about their vaginas so much and whether or not a dick's been inside it. Like mm -hmm. it, it feels to me, obviously very arbitrary. Like, yeah, you know, I, it doesn't change you as a person. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a nothing. That's a nothing. Virginity is literally nothing. But yeah. if that is being like, oh, it's so delicate and it, and it has to be protected by every man in your life. Like it is casting the woman in this really supposedly fragile position, it's going to change how she sees herself so that then mm -hmm. in a position of authority, she's going to be a hell of a lot more malleable. It's the infantilization of girls and women that then once they get married, like no wonder it's so hard to be like, now I'm a mature boss lady yes, and yes. like my childlike innocence is gone and I'm supposed to, I mean, that's a 
pretty nuts transition to have to navigate. Absolutely. And that's why it's so fraught with so much uh, struggle for people. So for something supposedly so natural, you know, going from maiden girl to like wife that pleases her husband, like if that's supposed to be the natural order of things, then why is it so fucking difficult? (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Okay. So I think that another element of the purity culture and diet culture thing that I just want to touch on is the idea that like, yes, you are rejecting (laughs) so much about who you are. You're viewing your body as like your enemy because it wants you to eat and have sex and it's your job to like control it. Um, But there's also just such a disconnection from every single bit of messaging from hunger or arousal, you know, Mm -hmm. to literally everything else, any desires and even your intuition, which makes you super controllable. Yeah. Because that's all body information like that lives in here. And if your job has categorically been to disconnect from it in order to lose weight or be pure, that makes you a real easy mark. Absolutely. Um, And that it's it's not easy to sort of become aware of those signals from your body after you've spent so many years intentionally turning them off or intentionally not listening to them. Um, So I really have so much love and patience and empathy for people that are coming back from that. Um, You know, like you and I didn't have to have that experience. Like I was lucky that when I started having sexual thoughts and feelings, I could, I could roll with it. (laughs) You know, I never was like, I must deny every bit of this. So when I work with people that have clawed themselves out of this way of thinking and of this um, set of sexual ethics, I have so much admiration for them, honestly, because it is like deprogramming your mind. It's deconstructing your beliefs. And for some people, it is like it requires serious trauma therapy to get back in touch with with that part of yourself. Um, And I just, I have so much respect and awe for people that are doing that I I can't imagine what it takes so interesting too because I feel like I diet culture or maybe even if you if we were to just call it like sexism or patriarchy beauty culture something in that space that was what lived fully in me so my early experiences of sex were not pleasurable or satisfying for me outside of it was validating Mm -hmm. and I I, loved the validation. Yeah. 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 I was like, this is what good sex is, is feeling like um, I'm getting the validation that I'm hot enough. So, I mean, over time, as I learned to completely alter my understanding of like what sex is, what good sex is, what pleasure is, what embodied presence in that space is, I feel like I've had to do just as much unlearning Mm-hmm. but from a completely different angle, even though it's like mm-hmm. absolutely plugged into the same system. Yeah. It was never sex is bad. It was like sex is owed and also a way of empowering myself. Yeah. Like, but no, really not though. Yes. Because you were still taught that it was not for you. It wasn't yes, for you. Exactly. You were thin for boys. You were pretty yes, for boys. And then right. you were available for boys, you know? Yeah. And I had a tight vagina for boys or not. Yeah. I never knew. I could never find out the answer. <laughs> Do you I know it's like, so funny? Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, this is just a great time to myth bust that. I'm like, 
I am like the idea that vaginas have to be quote unquote <laughs> tight is so ridiculous. Like I've worked with, with teenagers and these aren't purity culture teenagers. These are teenagers that I worked with and I worked um, in de- a detention center and they were like, no, but I swear that if a girl has a lot of sex, like her boyfriend will be able to tell, like he can tell if she cheated because her vagina changes. And I'm like, baby, they're not silly putty. Like <laughs> They are not gonna change shape. They're not gonna lose their shape. They are, it is a tube that is closed upon itself unless something is inside it so uh-huh. <laughs> you're tight you know, enough it's fine <laughs> okay so when I did my uh clinical sexology certification program I'm I'm realizing now like I must have been like 28 20 I was in my late 20s if somewhere in there anyway um and I did this class and we had to like go through this whole process with a mirror and look at our genitals before, during, and after arousal and like it, whatever I was learning and I was experiencing. And I was so pissed to discover that basically people with vulvas get erections. Mm -hmm. Nobody had ever mentioned that before. And that like, if the goal for men, if the goal is a tight vagina, turn the person on. And it'll swell up and be tight. (laughs) Yeah. The fact that there's this much of like, you know, you listen to any hip hop song, right? It's like there's this much of a focus on tight vaginas. And yet guys don't know how to turn on people with vaginas for the most part, at least in my experience, that was not what was happening. So it's just supposed to be tight. What like anatomically, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But when I discovered the difference in sensation and swollenness and puffiness and everything. I was like, I I went on a rampage. I was so mad. Just no one had ever, ever mentioned that being turned on made it essentially tight. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Everything is engorged. That's the word. It's engorged. And if that's what dudes want, get better at foreplay. (laughs) Don't tell us we should just randomly do Kegels. Are you kidding me? No, and also this, don't do Kegels. Most people need yeah. to relax their pelvic floors. True. I mean, you can do them, but just know that that's not the be all. It's not a cure all, of yeah. course. Yeah, I feel like you just brought it back to a purity point because you were like, you know, men expect that vaginas are just out here being tight, just <laughs> being tight by themselves. But the idea behind that is that that means they haven't had many partners, which is so insane yeah. because what we're essentially saying is. A girl that has had sex with her husband every night for five years has a tighter vagina than somebody who slept with 10 different men over the course of five years. Right. Like it's this idea that the tightness comes from your restraint that Mm -hmm. you have not allowed many dicks inside you. That's where it comes from. Right. And, you know, I feel like also because we get the misinformation in the sex ed but you can see what's going on. So if you've had some sex, you can tell that vulvas and vaginas do change shape and size throughout mm-hmm. the process of sex and arousal and whatever, right? Maybe maybe people are just seeing that and going, whoa, things are changing and no one told me that was okay. I bet it's never going to go back. Maybe. Who knows? We could all do with some... Back to why we need comprehensive sex why we ed need for comprehensive everybody. Sex ed. Yep. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, w- this... Yeah. I was just going to say, we know what happens when someone with a penis gets aroused, their penis gets hard, but we, we don't give the anatomy lessons about 
vulvas and vaginas in in a in the way we should no I never did and I like this is what I'm saying like I was the best educated kid in my school I knew everything compared to everyone else about sex and anatomy and I still knew nothing as it turns out mm-hmm. <laughs> so okay um you run a program called purity culture dropout I just wanted to have you like tell us a little bit about what that means and what the program yeah. is for or or who it's for and what it's about yeah so I I now kind of the name purity culture dropout is is kind of the catch-all name for all of the work I do and underneath that I have worked one-on-one with individuals where we do you know a bunch of just one-on-one intensive kind of sex ed sessions um based specifically on the things that they need to know and that they're struggling with. I've also taught a lot of um, public webinars that I will do from time to time. And then I have on my website that anyone can purchase. And I've run support groups specifically for queer people raised in purity culture. Um, Mm. We didn't even get to that. I had so many questions we didn't even get to touch on. (laughs) Um, But the, the thing I'm doing right now is under the purity culture dropout umbrella, I've created a private community where when people join, we will be away from social media, we will be in our own little space, and we will have regular sex ed lessons together, including support groups, discussion groups, the opportunity to like chat and connect with other people. It's like a, I consider it, I mean, this is like what I'm excited about. I'm tired of Instagram. Yeah, You never know who's looking. There are folks yeah. that don't even feel comfortable interacting with my content because they're like mm-hmm. people from my church might see. Um, so yeah, purity culture dropout at this point is is um my private community. My like I love that the community and sex ed school essentially. Um, can you just real quick talk about the impact of purity culture on queer people? Yeah. I realize that like that's a huge whole own topic of its own, but like yeah, I do feel so passionately about this. And actually the virginity thing is funny because that was another one where when I was whatever I read that said basically like, okay, so a lesbian who fucks all the time but has never had a dick inside her, is she a virgin? virgin. And I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, worldview shattered. (laughs) Right, right. Um, I would say uh, to all of the queer babes raised in purity (laughs) culture, um, one of the biggest things that happens is that it really, really delays folks coming out and understanding of themselves. Um, for a lot of people, they might come out when they consider it later, you know, like say they're like 30 and they're like, yeah. why didn't I know this about myself before? And they feel embarrassed. They feel robbed. They feel grief. Yeah. And it's like they weren't allowed to see that about themselves before. So it makes sense to me. Yeah. They were, you know, kind of probably pushing down any of those we talked about, you know, your natural body, what your body is telling you that they were yeah. also pushing aside desire, attraction, maybe gender yes. stuff to conform to the situation they were in. So I often say to those folks, it's not that you just like didn't walk through the door of discovering your queerness. You couldn't even see that there was a door there. Yes. You, you didn't even totally. know. Um, you weren't allowed to know. So, yeah, it really can delay. Um, it delays people's understanding of themselves even more than the rest of us might have, you know, just growing up in the world as queer people. Totally. And also I think like 
the coming out confusion is very specific. I, well, I guess for people who come out later and didn't feel like they could see the door for any number of reasons, but I'm guessing in this reason as well, um, because you kind of go like, I categorize that whole deal as something else. Mm-hmm. Like, I just really like my friend. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I, I spend a lot of time trying not to be weird about it. That's just who I am. You know, that's yeah. not. And then later yeah. you're like, oh, Got it. That's, uh, you know, like when yeah. I'm watching uh, movies that I watched as a kid and had a crush on the girl. And I'm like, I remember just a whole physiological reaction happening that I categorized in my head as like something else because I didn't hey, have nobody gave me a category for it. feel like this. Yeah. <laughs> or I think for me, a lot of it got turned into wanting to be that girl, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, I wish I was that pretty or something when actually I just thought she was pretty (laughs) yep yeah okay um where can people find you I know that if they go on Instagram or whatever you can kind of get to your purity culture dropout stuff but where where should they look you up um my website is just purityculturedropout.com really easy to remember and then my Instagram really is the hub of my work so instagram slash erica smith dot sex dot ed um Yeah, I know I have a common name, but if you Google my name in Mm. any iteration with like sex educator, you'll find me. That's what I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, Okay, so this was an absolutely amazing conversation. I hope that it's helpful for people who can like see pieces of their story or relationship to their body sort of coming in, whether or not they actually grew up in something more intense or just like the wider culture. Um, I feel like we didn't even really get to like what you can do about it, but I do want to just touch on the fact that, as you said, there is a long, sometimes slow or painful healing process that takes a lot of courage and is totally, totally worth doing. Absolutely. And there's an, there are a lot of us out there to help, you know, um, there are more and more therapists that are specializing in religious trauma. Um, and I want to shout out, um, Dr. Laura Anderson. She's on Instagram. You can find her. She just wrote an incredible book um, that I have right here on my desk about when religion hurts you. Um, and it's all about religious trauma. So there's there's more resources out there uh, than there used to be because there yeah. are a lot of people deconstructing from this kind of harm. Yeah. And a lot of people who you can connect with to know that you're not alone in it, no yes. matter where you're coming from. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much, Erica. This was amazing. And everybody, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you next week. Hey, everyone. I'm Jesse Neeland. And I want to take a moment to thank you for listening to this episode of the This Is Not About Your Body podcast. I put out new episodes every Tuesday. So be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss it. And if you really enjoyed it, please go ahead and leave me a review. Um, Also, if you're looking for more information about body neutrality or you want to work with me, you can find me at my website, jessineelan.com, or you can just purchase my book, Body Neutral, A Revolutionary Guide to Overcoming Body Image Issues, wherever you buy books, ebooks, or audiobooks. We can also connect on Instagram or TikTok. My handle is jessineeland. And because I make this uh, podcast available for free and without any sponsors or ads, you can also feel free to show your support using the Patreon link in the show notes and know that your support, if you decide to uh, participate, is always very much appreciated. 
Lastly, thank you to my brother Jason Neeland for creating the music that plays at the beginning of the show. And thank you for listening, learning, and moving toward personal and collective body liberation. 